I'm your host, Erin Groves, and this is where your positivity journey starts. Welcome to the Pop Podcast. Hey, 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 guys, and welcome back to the Pop Podcast. I am so excited to be on here today. In this episode, I, we always have conversation before, but I am super excited to have him on. He is friends with Ryan, who was on last week's episode. And just from talking to him, he does a lot. And I love talking to entrepreneurs for this exact reason. He owns four different businesses here in the DFW area. I love when I have my guests introduce themselves. So this week on the Pop Podcast, we have Phil Lang. Welcome, welcome. Say hello. Hello, hello. <laughs> Glad to be here. We're so excited to have you. And like I just mentioned, I know you own a couple different businesses in the Dallas area. Built them quite literally from the ground up. Self-made is a great description for you. We're going to start kind of from the beginning, but I want you to introduce yourself. Tell the audience who you are. Yeah. So uh grew up here in Dallas, Texas. Um, I started out uh, at a small private school where I met Ryan. We've been <laughs> friends since kindergarten. Aww. And uh, so uh, went there first through sixth grade and then got transitioned over to the DISD to Franklin Middle School and then went on to Hillcrest High School and then to uh, Texas Tech. And so I started the my first business in the sixth grade and it was a lawn mowing business with uh, two partners, one of which uh, left shortly after we started it and it ended up being two of us. So it was uh, originally HLS lawn service and turned into H&L lawn service. So we mowed yards uh, after school on the weekends, um, and did this all the way through college. So every summer, the exception of a one summer of an internship at a bank, I did the landscape deal. And my partner, David Hawker, uh, he's, he was a landscape architect or wanted to be one. He really enjoyed the design aspect and that sort of thing. And I enjoyed the, the uh, management and the running of the business. So we got a deal, an arrangement that, that uh, he would go get a landscape architect degree and I would go get a, a, a management degree and we'd come back and start this business after college. So I got uh, a little bit through college and started uh, hanging out in a fraternity and had a good friend at the time that uh, was a finance major. And he said, you know, the money's so much better than the finance side and it'll help you with what you're doing. And so I agreed to, to switch majors. So I switched over to finance, um, ended up graduating with a finance degree. We had this whole plan concocted that I was going to come back and start this business. And I got an offer uh, from Bank of America for 55000 a year um, <laughs> in Dallas to go do banking. So, you know, at the time I was thinking, gosh, you know, I probably ought to go do this. And my parents were both staring at me saying, you better go do that and <laughs> not, not start a mowing business. So, so I came back and did the, did the banking deal. And um, that lasted, I guess, for Bank of America, maybe nine or 10 months. And then I got transitioned to their investment banking group. So I went and got a Series 7, a Series 63, and they upped my pay to 110000 a year. And so I was doing that path. And I guess two years and seven months in, after many reorgs at the bank, I decided I'd had enough of getting moved around to different positions. So I told my parents, I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave the bank and um, I'm going to go start a landscape company. And of course, they fell out of their chair. My dad said, you're you're absolutely crazy we've taught you better than this you know you're making more money than i did raising four kids and so 
I said, well, that's what I'm doing. I'm not going to stay around. I don't like the bank. And, and so I went out and <clears throat> had $20,000 that I'd saved up from the bank. I, I paid for a truck and luckily no student debt from college. My parents covered that. So had a, had a decent leg up on the, on the, on the deal. So I went out and did the first job for my ex boss at the bank. He hired me to re-landscape his yard and I did one day's worth of work. And when I finished, I got home that night and couldn't get out of bed the next morning. I was so sore. I hurt so bad and from shoveling dirt all day long. So, so it took me a couple of days to get back out of bed. And, and then I went and hired a day laborer and, and two day laborers and, and then three and then a full-time guy. And so, so I, I grew it from myself with one job all the way up. And so, you know, the landscape for me was a, was a path for, of, that I knew I didn't know how to do it in the way we do it now, the current company structure, but, but I knew what to do to, to make money at it. And it didn't cost any money to get into the business. It was a, I think I bought a wheelbarrow and some shovels and then a tiller and then, you know, just a little piece of equipment and you make money the first week and you can take that profit and buy a tool or two and kind of, kind of grow from it. So if they're highly competitive businesses, anything you yeah. can start with no money or virtually no money is going to be a highly competitive business. But, um, but it was, it's been a great business for me and it was, it was great to get me, get me a lift and get me started. So, so that's what, what started the whole thing was the landscape company. Um, and from there, um, I started the real estate company next. So we were, maybe I was two years into the landscape company and I was renting a shop, um, a, from a guy, Scott Miller. And, uh, I told him, I said, Scott, I'm going to go buy my own place and I appreciate, you know, you letting me lease from you. Yeah. And he said, well, can I help you find one? I said, well, sure. He was a real estate broker. And so I told him, I said, my parameters are, you know, I want to be between LBJ 35 Highland Park and, and, uh, the medical district. And he said, okay, I got it. So he called me the next day and said, I've got the perfect property. And I was like, <laughs> wow, that was quick. So, <laughs> a little too fast. Probably. I was like, this is, this is amazing. So <laughs> he said, let's, uh, go look at it. So he said, get in the car. So I got in the car and we started driving and we just immediately left the area where I was talking about. And 10 minutes later, we ended up in West Dallas, um, down there on, on, uh, West Commerce. And, uh, he said, I said, Scott, this is not nowhere. This is nothing what I told you I wanted. <laughs> he said, Oh, you got to see it. It's a great building. So we went inside and there was an artist living in the building and he had been, uh, he quit paying his rent. So they had kicked him out but he had pets in there. So we walked in the deal and there's no lights in this warehouse and there's stuff everywhere. I've never seen so much stuff in my oh. life. He would just collect old trash and make art objects out of it. And get mm -hmm. you know, a boat hanging from the ceiling and that kind of stuff. So we walked through there and I'm, you know, stumbling through there, walking around stuff. And there's, there's a, uh, you know, just really nasty stuff. And, and Scott said, now this is the best part. And he took his flashlight and he said, look at your pant legs. And he shined it on my legs. And there's about 10,000 fleas bouncing <laughs> off my legs. I was like, oh, Scott. I was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> so I, I hit it out there and hightailed it and get to the door and go outside. And he chases me out there and he's like, it's, it's, this is great. And I said, how much do they want for this thing? And he said, $69,000. I said, well, it does sound like a good deal. And so I said, how about this? How about I put up the money, you do all the work, and we'll be 50 50 partners on it? He said, deal. So that was the first building I bought with him, 50 50 partners. And a uh, little side note, I still own that building and it's, uh, I think I had it appraised when I got a loan on it. It was appraised at 450000 It's been leased from, from the day we bought it all the way till now to the same tenants that have been in there. So, And there's still fleas, I'm assuming. <laughs> she's got all the fleas out, the new lady, but, uh, but it's, it's clean kidding. now. Yeah. So the, 
so that was you know my first foray into the real estate was was that deal and i watched you know how it how it worked we got a loan on it and and it worked out great so um from there scott brought me another building that didn't work again we partnered <laughs> on it then i brought him one we partnered on and we did five deals together before um i started going out on my own and buying buying other buildings i bought my first shop for the landscape company after five deals with him so i moved over there moved out of his building um i bought him out of the buildings subsequently and uh we've i just went on to continue to buy more and more and more real estate so every year i've kind of evolved the real estate career and it started out buying smaller buildings and now we're buying bigger buildings and um in fact scott just sold me this year he sold me um three different deals this year that he's just brokered to me deal and one of them is a deal we've been working on for for 13 years i've been trying to buy from these people and finally finally got it done so so that's that was how the real estate career kind of morphed and uh was was out of a necessity for the landscape company needing a shop and and me thinking that it would be better to to own something than to keep renting so and i think we kind of touched on this a little bit before we started the podcast but you started the landscaping company and you were going back a little bit with twenty thousand dollars and a mower for people out there listening I think it's crazy when you're listening to someone like you who's had so much success, but just seeing the trickle effect and how you just build, 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 build. You took what you had at the time and those resources to create something that then trickled into real estate. That was your passion. For people out there listening that are wanting to get started in their own business, taking resources that they currently have, and you touched on this previously of that's why I started this business was because those are the resources that I had. So again, for people out there listening, what are some tips or pieces of advice that you would give them when they're wanting to go out and starting? I know this was a question that we kind of touched on or that I was thinking of is, do you encourage people to go out there and start with the things that they have? Or is there, you know, taking out debt or taking out loans? Do you have kind of an opinion on going into business and starting that way? Yeah. So I think it really all depends on your your risk tolerance and your personality. And, yeah. and so I think uh, I, I've got great friends that buy real estate and they buy huge pieces of real estate and they mm-hmm. spend, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars and they use big private equity money and, and there's nothing wrong with that. They're, yeah. they're doing equally as well as I am doing smaller deals, you know, using my own money most of the time. But so I think it, it really just depends on what your, you know, what your skill set is too. Some people, I mean, I'm a business builder. I can, I can build, you know, any service business I can build, I know how to do it. I could be a plumbing company, HVAC, you know, computer repair, uh, just anything like that. I can start a company and build it. I, I know how to do it and I understand it. Some people are better at taking something that's already established and then taking it to the next level. So I'm kind of a simple thinker. I probably think too small. So I don't, my businesses usually aren't going to be, you know, I'm not going to scale them up to some huge deal. I like a something I can control that's smaller. I like higher margin work. I like, you know, to make money on everything I do and not, not do that. So there's, you know, Amazon, for instance, their Bezos has probably lost money for however many years, you yeah. know, forever, whatever the company's, he's the richest, one of the richest guys, but, but that's a different mentality. And it's not my mentality. Mine's to make money from day one on whatever I do and, and, and not do it. So I kind of bootstrap most of my stuff and start the businesses out small and, and kind of grow them from there. And I think that, you know, the, for, for me, the, the, bringing in talented people is the hardest part and your management style is what's going to set the tone for who you bring in. And so I've been able to grow, um, 
because I've hired really good people, I've been able to grow these businesses and, and, and I let them, all my people, I mean, I'm, I'm a very hands-off manager. And in the beginning, my management style was more micromanaging and I was really hands-on, but as time has gone on, I find good people. And, and when I find somebody good, I just say, you know, Hey, this is your deal. You're going to run with it and go do it. And I think it works out a lot better to be able to do it that way. And I love how you touched on too, I think it's important and it's another thing that we talk about a lot is just having self-awareness about the things that you're good at and taking that skill set. And I think you seem like someone that's very self-aware and knows like, hey, this is what I'm good at. I'd rather go into a business where I know I can make money day one. I'm not taking out a huge loan. I'm not taking out all this money to go make a huge risk or go into something that is not as feasible for you. When you're looking for people and finding talent, are you looking for people that are opposite of you? Do you find that you usually are recruiting and finding people that ben- that are opposite in the in talents, if that makes sense? So like you're simple minded, you know what you're got, good at. Are you hiring to fill those voids? Um, you know, I'd, it seems like I'm, I'm a real a uh, poor hire because I've always been so <laughs> head down working focused all yeah. the time that I just kind of hire whoever's in front of me yeah. and and they either work out real fast or they don't work out and yeah. so um I've kind of just I, I I get good people and it seems like those good people bring me more good people, people. and more good people and more good people and and then I, I you know my network group of of uh people that I network with and do business with when I need a certain position I I say I'm looking for a you know head of accounting and Somebody in my building said, I've got the perfect girl. I work out with her every day. She's great. You re- you've got to talk to her. So I yeah. ended up interviewing her and I was like, okay, you're hired. I, <laughs> I had no other choice, you know, no other options of who to hire. And, and she's turned out to be, Kelly has turned out to be one of the best hires I've ever made. She's, um, you know, going to switch over to a role of kind of running all the businesses for me um, and not just doing accounting. So, yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really, interviewing is not my strong suit in hiring, <laughs> but when I get good people, they don't leave. So, yeah. I think I've got uh, Lupe, one of my irrigators. Uh, he's been with me for maybe the first or second year in business. Pablo, um, Pablo is maybe my fifth fifth employee I hired, and he's still with me along with his brother, his brother's son, and Pablo's two sons. So I just wish he was still uh, aged to keep having more kids for me because they're <laughs> they're great employees for us. But, but uh, so that's really how we get them. Is all yeah. Word of mouth, people just come over and they're looking for a good environment. So I run a real, I, I'm not a hands-on guy. I run it, I try to run it where, you know, everybody is their own boss. And I tell them, you know, if you want to go take off Friday afternoon at noon because your friend's in town, don't tell me about it. Just go do it. Just make sure your stuff's taken care of and go do it. And I think that, that that's how I operate. And I may stay up, you know, Sunday night, all night long to make up for the Thursday and Friday I was gone doing something. Uh, but so... I'm always working and I just try to prioritize and get it done. And that's what I want my people to be able to do. Yeah. And so you taking your landscape business, you saw you wanted to own your own property. That's when you got into the real estate business. I know that is one of your passions and you've grown and done a nursery growing your own plants. So you're finding Mm -hmm. needs in the already business and just expanding from there. Touch a little bit more about how you just grew vertically. Yeah. So I, I, I vertically integrate. Yeah all my businesses. Um, so the, the nursery I, I bought from a, a friend of mine, he had a, a small nursery in East Texas and, uh, he was having troubles with it and was ready to get rid of it. And so I purchased it from him and, and came in there and, and I, I saw a need. We were, we're buying plants from California to Florida, having a hard time getting full truck loads and 
getting the product here and the quality and all that. So I decided, you know, I'm going to just vertically integrate. So start my own growing operation. So that's what we did. So now we grow plants that are, that are hard to find, um, that have better margins, things like that. And, um, it's been a huge help for the, for our landscape company. And we also sell to all of our competitors buy from us and local nurseries and things like that. So, so now it's gotten to the point where if we don't get a job, uh, we usually sell the plants to the people that get the job. So, I'm, so somehow my foot, my handprints on most of the jobs we work on, one way or another, it's there. So, yeah. No, and, I. And then the the roofing. I've got, I also have a roofing company. Yeah. So the roofing company and the construction company kind of was born out of the necessity to remodel all my buildings I was buying, and and so I already had the the ability to be able to do construction and manage people and do all that. So it just kind of made sense to vertically integrate and do our own construction so we can do it for a whole lot less than subbing out every single piece to other people so so we just we now we do all our own um almost everything except for plumbing electrical and hvac and storefront glass uh we do all of it in-house now so i have a whole bunch of guys that we do and they do it all so we're able to do it faster and and uh for you know better price than what it would take to hire it all done to hire people to do it all you're very much of a doer. You see an opportunity, you see a need where you're at, and then you find the people and make it happen. How important, this is something that I see in every single entrepreneur and every single success, successful person. A is consistency, is B is the ability to just go out and do and execute. From your perspective and pe- people out there listening, in other successful people that you've seen, and I mean, I don't work with you on a day-to-day basis, but I can only imagine how consistent you are and how you continue to do and execute. How important do you think that is for people out there that are wanting to be entrepreneurs or wanting to go off and do their own thing? Oh, it's, a, I mean, to me, it's the most important. And I mean, I've, I, I always tell people, young people that want to start something, but I mean, if you just return phone calls and do what you say you're going to do, show up on time, you'll be very successful. It's a, it, and finish the job too. It's amazing how many people just can't do that. They're, they're good at, I'm going to have employees that work for me that are really great landscape people that used to own their own business, but they couldn't, they're great landscape people. They're just not good business people. And so they can do the work really good, but they can't bill it properly. They can't bid it properly. They can't collect it. They can't finish the last 5%. They can't, all those different things. And so, so I kind of facilitate all these people to, to be able to do that. We have, I have a structure and a program that, that, you know, we, we finish what we start a hundred percent and we do it all correctly. And, and to me, it's, if you can do that, you can make money in any business. It's amazing. It's amazing how every time I've started any business or or any little niche, it explodes within no time. People are calling me like crazy. Like the roofing uh, deal, all my competitors started with some friends of mine there in the real estate business. They called and said, you know, hey, can you come help me with this roof? The roofer won't call me back or he won't show up or, you know, whatever the, yeah. whatever the situation is. So I said, sure, we'll do your roof. And so we do it. And then next thing you know, he tells a friend, and then another one, another one, and then my competitors find out we're roofing, and so now all of a sudden everybody's calling us saying, "Come roof our buildings." So, but it's because we we do it right, you know. We we take care of them. We stand behind what we do. And I'm going to have you go a step further on tangible things that you do as a leader of four businesses managing all of this. What are things that you do? specifically to keep those I, I mean to me it sounds like a no-brainer why wouldn't you answer someone's phone call why wouldn't you do this if, i've talked about this before but are there pieces or tips for people out there listening that they can take away from this and be like maybe this is something that i'm not doing that you are that you're having success with well yeah i think uh, organization is the key thing and i'm a real type a 
anal person and, and you know it's it's good and it's bad it, it 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 keeps me from growing real big because i'm so laser focused um you know i'm being perfect at what we do and so having that perfectionist mentality is great but it's also a, yeah a negative you mm-hmm. know so but i think that if you just stay focused and organized don't grow too fast most businesses just grow way too fast they take on too much work and they can't perform you know they, get, they don't have the systems in place to be able to perform at that level so I've always started out small and I've always grown slowly. Not, not always, but I mean, I, you know, I'll rein myself back in when we get out of control real quickly because your reputation is, once you start ruining your reputation, it's gone. I mean, people, yes. people will, it'll be all around town that, you know, he done roof buildings correctly. And, and then even if you fix the problems, it's real hard to get it back. So I try to keep it straight from the beginning. And you touched on, your businesses and how the importance of staying in your niche market. And Mm -hmm. I know this is something that you wanted to talk about. You see a lot of people who you're talking about growing too fast or trying to expand and throw a bunch of pain at a wall in an industry when really it's like, you're really good at one thing. You've done this incredibly well. That's where your success has from come from. Elaborate more on that and the importance. Yeah. So we, you know, one business I, I bought the only business I think I've ever bought. I bought a concrete company that, pours concrete and it was it was a subcontractor of mine that had health problems and he needed to get out of the business so i bought it from him and um it was a disasterful four or five years of losing money and you know it just wasn't it wasn't my we're landscapers and we're really good at it Mm -hmm. and to run a concrete company if i would have put my energy into it i could have done it but i was too busy with all my other businesses so so we ended up you know i folded into the landscape company. We still have two crews that pour concrete for us in-house, but to, you know, I had a dream of growing that to some big company and, and it just took too much energy to go grow that. And I didn't have the energy. I didn't want to do it. It's, you know, I was kind of tired at the point and didn't want to do that. So, so yeah, I think you need to stay focused on what you do. And if you, we don't do low-end commercial, we don't do low-end residential. We, we, spec- we do high-end residential landscapes. So we do, we have projects, installation projects now that are ranging from, you know, a million to up to almost three million now for projects that we're doing. So so we focus on Preston Hollow Park Cities and Fort Worth, and then we do some ranches and lake houses. So we're very niche, one little area, one little market. I don't we don't jump out to, to other markets and start, try to work and do all that. So we, we try to focus on certain areas and we do what we do really good. And the same you know, same with the with the growing operation, the roofing company. Um we, we just try to focus real estate. I try to focus on what I'm good at and stay in my lane and, and not venture out and try to get into too many different things. So interesting. And I do think a lot of it has to do with pers- per, like personalities. Oh, for sure. You think there's a lot, I, I've, you know, had some people on the podcast to grow scale these huge businesses. Granted, they're in one market. You know, Nick was t-shirts. He, I mean, it grew. There's a lot of different products, but the grams, that's what it was. So it's just so interesting to hear mm-hmm. and applauding for not trying to, I think some people chase money a little bit too yeah. much they get caught up in the rat race and caught up in the every day of like this how can i make more money how can i do yeah. this when in, you, you sound like hey i got this down this is what i'm good at i'm just going to keep doing this and then you're going to grow and vertically in- integrate from there so <laughs> i love that and kind of moving i know uh, real estate is something that's super important to you in the real estate market you buy super dilapidated old gross industrial properties and turning them around was this a passion of yours well before the not i mean 
buying cheap buildings was a passion of mine to try to, <laughs> yeah. because I didn't have a lot of money and then to try yeah. to make money. And so yeah. that kind of led know, me yeah. into led me into the that sector of the market. And then yeah. on top of that, my construction background and my ability to manage people and my contacts and all with all yeah. these Networking. with all those trades and all that stuff. That that's kind of I kind of went to that yeah. deal. So so yeah, we're currently we've got a a two hundred thousand foot building on Harry Hines that the tornado hit two years ago. And we're almost finished with that one. So it was part of the building was falling to the ground. Part of it had a hole in it. And we, it had uh, six or seven tenants in there when I bought it. They were obviously leaving because there's water all over their stuff and everything. But we, uh, I totally restyled the whole building and we ended up cutting it up. We have, we're going to have 19 tenants now. So we're, we have everything from a taco shop to a donut store to a little retail, then to some bigger furniture stores, you know, and kind of like a surplus building supply store. So, so that's one one recent project. I bought a thirty thousand footer behind it that the tornado hit. We're almost done with that one. Uh, bought one uh, twenty four thousand foot building that had a fire in it. Printing company, and so it burned half the roof out. So we uh, came in and re redid the steel on that, put a roof on it, and sold that building. Um, so those are the kind of buildings we buy. They're, yeah, you know they're bad roofs. The copper's been stripped out by vandals. The you know tornado hit it, burned out that sort of thing. So that's that's kind of the niche of yeah, buildings, and, and it's 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 exhausting. We, we make a lot of money doing it, but it's it's a hard it's a hard set of real estate. You know, I watch watch my buddies go out and just buy already leased buildings and put two hundred million of them together and sell them for three hundred million. And I'm like, oh wait, that was easy, you know. And so, <laughs> and they've got their obviously they have their issues too. There's no free lunch, but yeah. But mine is just I've kind of gravitated towards that. So now all the brokers bring me these kind of deals. They all know what I buy, and they know I'm, I'll close them, and they know I'll take care of them. And so, so I've kind of built a reputation that you know they know if I'm if I'm on it, I'm going to close it and get it done. And so, they bring me deals. And I have a license, a uh, real estate license, but I don't. I mean, I'll I'll take fees on deals that I can, but but most deals, all the brokers know that I'm not going to get in their pocket. I'm going to give them a full fee on it, and and you know get a deal done. So. And while we're on the real estate market, the real estate has been crazy in Dallas. I think, you know, with everyone from California, everyone moving, I think there's a lot of things. And this was a question that I've had for you. How have you seen the market over, obviously, the last few years? Do you think that this is something that's going to continue as someone that's in it buying these buildings? Do you think the demand is always going to be as high? Where do you think the trajectory is going to go for people out there listening and for myself personally? Yeah, so great question. Um, Wish I really knew the answer, but I'll give you my opinion. <laughs> yeah. um, I've been, I've, I thought the market was overheated five years ago and it's gone from there. It's gone from there just to, to levels that I never thought were possible. Um, so we're, we're seeing buildings traded a, at $150 a foot that were maybe 60 a foot five years ago. And so they've gone from, from probably 120 to 150 in the last four months. And it's just, I, I don't know how it could keep going, but but I am a, I'm a, I'm very bullish on on the you know Texas Sun Belt markets DFW in particular. That's where I play. But I think that uh, we have a lot of room to run. But I do think we're kind of we've hit a spike. So I think there's you know going to be a correction at some point. But I think long term it's going to be good. Yeah. No, it is so interesting. It's how different how different 
all the markets are. I mean, you've seen everything increase. I mean, my parents are in South Carolina. You've seen houses go for 150 over asking. People are paying cash. Like I think it's definitely inflated in a lot of areas, but I've just always been, not always, but the last you know year and a half, especially like, where is it going to go? Is it going to crash? I have other friends that are in real estate that are sitting on money right now. Just do I invest it? What do I do? I know there's a lot of uncertainty. So I think it's interesting just to get a second opinion. Yeah. And we're, we're, I'm continually buying right now, Yeah, but, but I'm, I'm plugged into a, a network and a market where I'm seeing deals before they ever hit the market. A lot of times we're finding off market deals out of our office. We're, so we're, we're in a little different situation than a, than buying a fully marketed deal that, you know, has got kind of gotten pumped up, but, but we're, we're having to pay over asking price. Um, in fact, I just bought a place for myself, personal place and, and, uh, came on the market. I knew it was a kind of a one of a kind for what it was. And so I ended up paying, uh, 55,000 over what they're asking seven days, to close, no inspection period, $30,000 non-refundable day one. And I knew I, I wanted it. And so I knew that's what I had to do to get it done. If I didn't do that, I'd end up in a bidding war with, you know, five other people and somebody would probably you know, sneak it out. So, so that was my, my way to do it. And, and I've done it on many commercial properties and, and uh, the realtor that represented me, uh, Mark Kane, a friend of mine, you know, he, he told me, he's like, if you didn't do that, you know, you may not have gotten it done. And he said, it's nice to work with people that know how to know when they need to step up and get it done and that's what you have to do right now yeah that's that's the way the market is today you really have to if you want it you better go after it hard to get it done jeez like i like the term bullish yeah and i very i don't know i like that very passionate um <clears throat> I know we haven't touched on this, but you had a mentor and I know we're kind of taking it back to the mm-hmm. beginning and how you got into real estate. I have a mentor that has completely, I mean, I would not be who I am today without him. Talk about the importance and how much that person had helped you. And I know you are very passionate about networking and about having a mentor when you're young, especially for those out there listening. Yeah. So, um, I'll, I'll kind of back up to how I met uh, John. John Piercy is a uh, Carlisle interest. He's a longtime Dallas real estate guy. And um, I had a, a broker introduced us and said, y'all should meet. And he's 84 and I'm 44 now. So we're uh, 40, 40 years apart. And so I met him um, at a, some kind of function. I can't remember what it was, but we met. And um, the next time I saw him was maybe three months later. And I walked into Celebration Restaurant on Lover's Lane and he was sitting there and I went and introduced myself and shook his hand and said, you know, Philip Lang, we met. And he said, sit down here and have lunch with me. So I said, okay. So I sat down and had lunch and he said, what have you been up to? And I said, well, I just got out of the hospital. I had a, a foot of my colon cut out. I had diverticulitis for four years straight. And I said, they, you know, did the surgery and all that. And he said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to mail you a book and you're going to read it cover to cover the whole thing. I said, okay, I'll do it. What's the book? The China study. Okay. So it's about eating a vegan diet. And uh, so my diet pre-surgery consisted of, you know, uh, bacon, egg, and cheese taquito in the morning with a big Dr. Pepper, you know, cheeseburger and fries for lunch and a steak for dinner. And that was kind of my diet. A bunch of alcohol to wash it down. No working out, you know, not enough sleep and a huge amount of stress. And that was kind of my from from 22 to to whatever that would have been, 35 or 36 years old, that was kind of my life. And it was a, a path of, you know, ruining relationships and not, it was, it was not, not a sustainable path long-term, you know, to continue down that road. And so the, that was my big wake-up call to, that I needed to change my, change what I was doing. 
you know, I was like, I'm going to die if I keep doing this. So, so I read his book and, it, you know, really resonated at the time, obviously, because I'd just gotten done with that. And so we would go up there and we start having lunch. I'd go up there and eat a vegetable plate, trying to eat better. And so he'd be there every day. And so we would sit down and talk and eat and eat, just do it every single day. So we became really good friends and he would, you know, I'd start calling him saying, Hey, I've got a question. I got a title issue. You know, what do you do? And he always had the answer. It's always a example and an answer of how he did that or, or how he didn't do it right or whatever. And so, so that's, that's been our relationship. We've traveled to Vietnam together. We've been to London. We've been to Amsterdam. We've been to, to different countries and he's got a, uh, there's a group of, uh, guys. We have uh, dinner once a month and, uh, they're all older guys. They're his age. And, you know, he said he wanted a young guy in there. So we've just become, you know, very, very close friends. And, and, uh, to this day, he mentors me on stuff. We're now partners in deals. We do deals together, real estate deals together. And, and, uh, so great, great guy. And I think having a mentor, um, is really an important thing to, you know, just from a, from being able to get questions answered, uh, when you get in a bad spot or when you need advice or something like that. So, so I'm, I'm, I've got him as my mentor for real estate. And then, uh, I had a Bill Bibb, a landscape architect was kind of when I first started my landscape company, you know, he was always there to answer questions to help me out. And so he's always been great on the landscape side to help me with, with that deal. And then, you know, I think there's lots of organizations. There's a little group of us. There's maybe <clears throat> 35 of us called the breakfast network group. We started, somebody started 20 something years ago and we meet for breakfast once a month and we just talk about stuff and pass deals to each other and help each other out with stuff. So you have those kind of organizations that are, you know, small. And then I'm also a member of YPO, the Young Presidents Organization, which is a, you know, an international organization that's structured and, you know, very big that provides all those services. So, so you can get it from different ways, but, uh, you know, there's nothing better than a good, one good old guy to help you out. I think that's probably the best, best advice I'd give young people is find somebody that's good at their industry that you want to be in and, and just ride their coattails and get all the information you can from them. I think it's one of the very underrated pieces of advice that I think a lot of people overlook. And whether they're, <clears throat> for me, it's all of the people that I'm interviewing. I have one specifically that is in real estate, but he's just been someone that gives me just so much advice or answers questions or if I want to go off and do this or taking risks, I think it's important. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I think it's it's hard to find, but I also feel like when you really put yourself out there and you're coming from a place of genuine curiosity, there's a lot of people like you that are willing to help. And I think there's fear and you touch on something that when you ask him for advice, he'll give you advice. He always has the answer, but he also has the answer from a lot of things that he did wrong that you could correct, which I think is so important. And for someone that's a business owner, I'm not, I don't want to assume, but I'm sure there's times in your life where you've made mistakes or times that you've run into oh, roadblocks. So many. I think it's easy to get caught in fear and to get caught in those times and a either want to give up, which goes against the bullish mentality that you have and goes against just keep going consistency, consistency. Mm -hmm. How do you, how have you personally tangible things that you've done to overcome making mistakes to keep moving forward, fear, all of those things that I believe are true roadblocks for entrepreneurs or people wanting to get into. Yeah. I mean, when, when I first started the business, things would paralyze me, you know, decisions would paralyze me and it was, you know, really focused on how much does that mower cost? Is that the right one? And, you know, and then you get, I guess I kind of grew to a point where out of necessity, I had to quit caring about all that stuff because I was, had so much going that I didn't have time to research a mower anymore. So I just would buy one. And yeah, I made mistakes along the way. We'd buy the wrong kind of lawnmower and I, well, won't do that again. But 
you know, I was able to get more done than micromanaging and focusing on every little detail of everything. So, so I think that, uh, you're going to run into, you know, problems where you have to make mistakes along the way and, and that sort of thing. One, one thing you mentioned though, that, you know, him giving me advice and all that. So he, my favorite thing, he calls and leaves messages all the time and he'll be like, well, I'm, I'm minding your business again. And, and I'm gonna, I know you didn't ask for this, but I'm going to tell you that you should be doing, uh, you know, he gives me a whole example of what I should be doing. So he's always, he's always giving me unsolicited advice too, you know, of what he thinks I should be doing or not doing or how to, how to grow it. So, and there's been, there's been times where I've called him. There's one time I was stuck in a deal that, that uh, had specific performance in the contract, a residential deal. And, uh, I called the people and I said, Hey, I'm past my option period. You can keep my earnest money, but I, I can't do this deal. It's just not going to work. And the broker was like, that's not an option. You're going to buy it. We're going to sue you and make you buy it. And so I called him. This is like on a Saturday night. I called him and John and John, you know, he's like, send me the contract. So I sent him the contract and he called back. And he's like, you know, the seller didn't, didn't give you the uh, seller disclosure and they didn't initial this page here. And they left an eye off on here and they didn't, they didn't cross that T here. And he's like, these are all ways we can get you out of this deal. And, and I've got my, my title company in Dallas and my attorney working on it right now, you know, and just went on and on and on. And so it gave me a lot of relief to be, you know, cause he'd seen all this and done all this. And he, he gave me the example when he got stuck like this and you know, how he, how he got out of it. And so I ended up getting out of the deal. It cost me 20 grand or something, but, but it was a good lesson for me. And, you know, you got to pay attention to the details too. I tell my people all the time, the details are got to pay attention to them because they'll get you if you don't. Yeah. Something I need to get better at. I think it's very big picture. Sometimes mm-hmm. I get caught, like I have a vision. How can I get that to reality? I think sometimes focusing on the details and that's something that I personally need to work on. Yeah. And I think you, you can, I've got great friends. I was riding with one the other day talking to him and he's a visionary guy. He's amazing. He, he's got the best ideas. He owns uh, restaurants and clubs. He's He's got all the greatest ideas, but he's not into the details. But he's got the best ideas of how to decorate and where to open them, how to do them, all the, all that stuff. And so, if you if that's your strong suit, then you hire people that can do the detail work for you. Yeah. So you know, I, I don't like reading contracts. Anything to do with, with contracts and stuff just just really bores me. But I've got an amazing attorney, Brian, that handles all that for me, and he's he is so detailed that he does not miss anything. So that allows me to focus on the parts of the real estate I like to do, and yeah. not the part I don't like to do, which is legal. Yeah. So. That's they're a whole different animal. Yeah. I've got friends that are lawyers. I'm like, you guys are a whole different animal. We're gonna take it back to the health piece mm-hmm. and the time where you came to this point, like, hey, if I don't change my lifestyle, and I could tell when you were sharing with me earlier that this was an eye-opening experience of like, hey, this is not the type of behavior and this is not how I can continue working. Mm-hmm. Are there things that you look back on now in those 12 years that you were grinding it out, not going out, working, working, working all the time that you would have done differently? And if the answer is yes, <laughs> advice for those well, people out there. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, first of all, I'm going to say everything in life always works out. It always works out in the end. I love that. Every, every bad thing that's ever happened to me has turned into something positive. But, but uh, so, I mean, I, do I wish I would have done something different when I was younger? Yeah, I wish I would have gone out more and partied more and had more fun. But by not doing that, it allowed me to build the business to where I can do it now in a different way than I would have done it if I had been, you know, going that way. So I hang out with a different crowd now. And I, I tell young people all the time, you all, if you associate yourself with more successful people than you, you'll be a lot better off. So always go after people that are better than you are, richer than you are, stronger than you are. I ride with people that are 
stronger on the bike than I am. And it makes me stronger because I'm trying to keep up with them versus if I'm the fastest one in the group, they're all trying to keep up with me, then you don't push yourself. So um, the health deal, if, if, if that wouldn't happen to me, I think I may have gone down a path of, of being unhealthy for my whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, so by kind of crashing and burning at such a young age, I realized, okay, wait a minute, I got to do something different. If I'm going to be here, you know, 30 years from now, I better start really doing something different. So, so, you know, I don't I mean, obviously if you could do everything in moderation in life, that'd be great. That's not me. I'm, I'm, I'm all in on whatever I do. And, <laughs> That's exactly. and so whatever, whatever that is I'm doing, it's, it's all in. So sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. You know, right now I'm all into riding 200 mile bike races and I rode across the state of Texas last last year during COVID, 850 miles on a gravel bike. So, so what, when I get into something, I always get into it all the way too much, which is not necessarily a good thing. So I'm trying to get more balance in my life and trying to figure out how to, you know, how to not um, just do it all good or all bad. But it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> Real hard for me. It's also, it, I, it's just a personality trait. So I feel like when people tell you to do this or for me, there's times where people are like, you're being so this or you're being so that. Yeah. That's just how I show up. So I don't necessarily know how to tone it back. Like I try to be self-aware enough, but when you go into something, you go into it a hundred percent, which has paid off clearly sitting here and, you know, oh, it's paid off, but I mean, it's, you know, there's things I would take back in my life that maybe would have had different outcomes had I not been so driven and focused, um, you know, on, on the end goal. So, so it, it goes both ways, but, I mean, I'm not, I'm glad I have the drive and the motivation and, and all that. And I'm not the opposite, but at the same time, sometimes, you know, it's been, hadn't been in my best interest sometimes. So, but right now I think I've got a pretty decent balance going. Um, you know, I work, I go out, I travel and you know, raising two kids and, and work out a lot. So I, mean, I think I'm, 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 I'm more balanced than I've ever been right now. Let's put it that way. It may not be perfect, but it's for me, it's probably, you know, probably perfect for me today. Yeah. But we evolve all the time where, you know, we start out at one thing and we end up at another thing and people change. And that's, uh, you know, we, we change in what we want, what we like, how we behave. You know, you, you learn stuff. I'm, I'm always preaching to, to all my young guys I hang out with that, you know, you, you need to get a therapist and get one early. You know, it's like a trainer. And oh my when, when, you get, when you get married, you need to have a marriage counselor before there's ever any problems. That way your, your wife can complain about your underwear on the ground like real early in the marriage before all the different things pile up and then it's a big, you know, big deal. So, so I think that having a therapist is great because you can go, you know, have an independent person. Your friends are going to, I mean, I have a lot of good friends that just, they call me out on my shit all the time, but you know, a therapist is somebody that can sit there independently and tell you, Hey, that's not right. What you just did wasn't right. Or the way you're behaving is not right. Or, or do you see what you did? And they can point stuff out. So, so to me, it's just like having a trainer, just like working out, get a therapist and, and and do that. I think it really helps a lot to be able to helps helps ground you to be able to do that. So, do you feel you're the second person that said that exact same thing? Do you feel that having that realization has helped you in business more? Do you feel like going through what you have, finding a therapist or someone that's neutral? Um, again, we're not telling people to. Mm-hmm. go do go do what you want you know what i mean like it's it's our opinion it's our advice i i don't disagree with what you're saying do you feel like there was a change in not only 
your external world outside of work, but do you feel like inside of work you started to know yourself a be more productive and b be a better manager and a better leader through that? We'll call it like healing process and through coming to the realization of you know everything that you were going through internally and at home. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it. There's no doubt my management style has changed. I'm I'm much more self aware of myself now, and so I'm, I'm more aware of other people. And uh, I think that it's I've read so many self-help books the last five years you know i mean all Brene brown's books and so I'm, <gasps> oh my gosh which ones i read i've read all five of them. my therapist dare to lead i've read every one of them and so ah. so that's <clears throat> they're great books and she, she's amazing and love her and there's a lot of other books that that i've read that i think are are really good you know so um you know i think i think just the more you can learn the more you can read um the better off you are and, and it all helps you in the end. It all helps you be a better leader, better, more, more, you know, empathetic to people, to their situations, to their you know, stuff. And you learn different styles and different personalities and, and that sort of thing. So, um, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of self-help and therapy and working out all the stuff like that. Working out is at the core of everything that I do. And people ask mm-hmm. me all the time, a, how do you have so much energy and B, how do you stay so disciplined? And my answer every time is that hour of my day Mm -hmm. is how and why I am the way that I am pre-working out, pre-health. What what has been the difference for you? What are a few things that you've noticed within yourself and growing multiple businesses and leading a team that eating healthy, working out, all of those have done for you? Well, so when I was backing up to when I was not healthy, you know, I spent four years, I remember going home at uh, three in the afternoon, laying in bed, you know, I felt like I had the flu, just uh, my body was so weak because I had an infection in my colon, the diverticulitis. So I would, I would go to work for a little while and I was probably hitting, you know, 30 or 40% of my capacity when I was there. And then I would come home and lay down in the bed and just curl up in a ball and lay there till you know, the next morning. And so, so I was sometimes, you know, you, if you do too much, you think you're getting more done, but really you're not getting more done you're getting way less done than if you were to to go work out and stuff and so i've 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 used the excuse a million times and i hear people all the time i don't have time to work out i'm too busy i gotta be at the office i've got two kids i've got a wife and we all use excuses for all that stuff but but that that one that one hour of working out um can totally alter your entire day your energy level what you get done your you know your your uh, mood, your temper, you know, all that kind of stuff is totally different. When I don't work out, I'm, I'm short, have a shorter temper, probably not as nice to be around. You know, when I go work out, I'm a lot happier. So, so I think it's really important to, to do that. And, and so I went from making excuses about working out. I wouldn't travel every time my buddies would call and say, we're going dove hunting. I'd say, Oh, I'd love to go, but I've, you know, I've got to work. I've got this, I've got this job coming up, this bid due, whatever my excuse was at the time, which there was obviously something to do you know, seven days a week for the rest of my life if I wanted to. But so, you know, I used to use all those excuses. And, you know, now my kind of my new deal now is when somebody says, do you want to go somewhere? The answer is yes. And, you know, I'll figure out later how to, how to, you know, catch up or do whatever. It's just, yes. I mean, you, you want to go fishing? Yes. You know, whatever it is. I'm so, so I'm, I'm trying to, I'm kind of back to my whole, you know, my whole manic, you know, thing. I'm just all, but I mean, I'm back then I didn't do anything. Now I'm like trying to do everything, you know, so I got to find the balance in the middle. There's a balance there and, and I'll get to that balance, um, as life goes on. And I think I'm, I'm getting closer to, to middle ground and all that, but, 
but you got to prioritize what's important. And if you don't prioritize that, it's like saving money. If you if you just spend everything you get every month and you never save, you know, then you're never going to save anything. And you can always have an excuse every month that oh, I had to buy this or I had needed that. But you got to pay yourself first, which is saving, and then then you can move on to to the other stuff. So, but relationships are so important. I think uh, having friends, people to talk to, people to laugh with. You know, all that stuff makes you more productive, happier, better person. It's so interesting, too, to think a lot of people out there make excuses and reasons why it all kind of wraps into one of why they can't do certain things. When in reality, I think it boils down to just quite literally not wanting to do it or I think not having, you know, not having enough time or whatever it is. It's a either lack of discipline. I think a lot of times it's fear like you know, what What would happen if I did this or it's something that you're not used to. Mm-hmm. I just think there's, we always are finding ways to come up with excuses and to get out of things maybe that we're not familiar with. I think we're, we're always going to, the human nature is just, always yeah. to try to take the easiest path. I think for a lot of people, including myself, I mean, I'm, I'm the first one that wants to take the shortcut if I can and take the easier path. But, but as I've gotten older, I've learned that, you know, doing hard things is what, you know, really it really builds you. And so I, two years ago or three years ago, whenever I started training for these bike races, you know, to ride with Ryan to the lake and around and back was like a big deal for me. It was 30 miles and it was, you know, I mean, I was worn out, tired when I was done and, and Ryan would, you know, ride in front of me and all that stuff. And it was no problem for him. And, and so then, you know, fast forward to, to finishing the, the, uh, dirty Kansas June of this year, it was 207 miles on the gravel in Kansas with uh, 12,000 foot of elevation, it took me 17 hours and 17 minutes to do it. So I got up at whatever that was, 5.30 in the morning and rode a bike all the way till 11.30 at night and, you know, stopped four or five times to get some more food and drink and that sort of thing kept riding. But but getting done with that, it, it made me realize that I can do anything. And before I didn't think I could do anything. Before I thought that confidence, yeah. I couldn't, you know, that I couldn't do more than 50 miles or whatever it is. And so I've got buddies that I ride with now. They're all, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get them to do these big 100-mile races with me and 200-mile races. And they're all like, oh, it's too much, it's too far, you know. And I'm like, you can do it. And so now it's almost like a, it's like a drug to me now to yeah. to go do these things. I'm like, man, I want the next challenge and the next challenge. And yeah. Because, you know, we, once you realize that, it, it mentally I've changed so much. Now I'm not worried about things I used to be worried about because I know I can do it. We're talking about hard work. We're talking about doing hard things, building up confidence, all of these type of things that, you know, wrap into the success and everything that you've had in your mind or your personal opinion when it comes to hard work. Mm -hmm. I've always said hard work beats talent when talent isn't working hard and just the power of you grinded didn't necessarily take care of yourself at the very beginning for people out there listening Hard work in all areas of your life. Working on yourself is probably one of the hardest things I think you can do. I think it's easier to sit in in oh, a room it's, and it's so much easier for me to go work and <laughs> make money and do all that than to ever sit there and deal with my own problems. I mean, that's that's the hardest thing. And there's so much power when you work on yourself, the things that happen and mm-hmm. evolve around you. And I think you're someone sitting here that made choices or did things early on that you look back now and you're like, okay, maybe I wish I would have done this. I Everything happens for a reason. So there's if there's people out there listening to this, what pieces of advice would you give for them if they're type A personalities like this that are grinding heads down, hard work, hard work, hard work, hard work to A, either whether it's take a break, take care of yourself most importantly, or finding that balance. You're coming into that now at 
you know, when you're in your 40s, don't look a day over 21. I use that one every time. But I think it's something hard. And for me personally, that I get stuck on all the time is like, how do I balance all of this when you're told to hard work, 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 but you don't want to lose sight of who you are or the relationship that you have around you or burden bridges along the way? Yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't know how to tell you to do it. I mean, for me, it, for me, it was hitting rock bottom and different aspects of my life, um, health and relationships, you know, that, that caused me to, to refocus my attention and try to get more balance in my life. So I think some people can naturally figure it out. And then some people aren't going to figure it out till it hits them in the head. You know, and that's what happened to me. It, it was, it required almost dying to, to, to literally, I mean, I, I almost died from this, after this colon surgery, I laid in bed for, for uh, four weeks after that surgery. Um, and I got down to 118 pounds when I quit weighing myself. Um, but so it, it, it requires sometimes for you to hit rock bottom, you know, to figure out that you need to change and get some balance in your life. And, you know, I, I'm glad that's the part I'm glad about that it happened to me at an early age where I was, where I still had some runway left to correct and make some, you know, changes. It happens to a lot of people when they're 70 or 75 years old and they're dead or, you know, something happens to them then, you know? So, so I think that I, I'm not sure there's really any right or any magic sauce to figure that out. I think it's different people are going to have to figure it out different ways. But for me, it was a, it's been big milestone events and not good ones that have got me to kind of change my focus. So, and I had my, I call it my midlife awakening when I was 39 and a half. And that was another whole wheels off chapter of my life that is still probably going on right now. But, but it was, you know, that was a part of my life where I decided I'm not just going to, be content sitting around anymore, working, making money, you know, trying to do what, what society thinks is what you should be doing. I said, I'm going to do what I want to do from here on out. And it, it, a lot of people didn't like it and a lot of people don't like it. And, but it's what I want to do. And I'm going to hang out with the people I want to hang out with. I'm going to travel if I want to travel. I'm going to, you know, work hard if I want to work hard. I'm going to bicycle. I'm going to do, do what it is I want to do. And, and, you know, I'm trying to be, my personality is not, naturally like this but i'm trying to be more unapologetic about doing it but you know i'm i've got a personality that cares about everybody's feelings and i'm always you know worried about what people think of me and that sort of thing and and so that's that's not you know a a good thing to have and so that that you know that's that's another thing um you know i've always been very very competitive and so i've also tried to to get rid of the focus on who's making more money who has a better business who's got a hotter wife who's got you know whose kid (laughs) star in football and you know whatever and so i've tried to get get away from you know focusing on other people's stuff and and just worry about me and what i'm doing and if if i'm happy then that's all that matters and so it's it's a it's something that i have to continue to to push myself back in the lane over and over and over again i've got a great friend houston harris and uh i call him all the time we talk two or three times a week and you know it's one of the main topics we talk about is you know I'm always, you know, ah, why does so and so have that money? Why'd they do that deal? How'd they get, you know, that was so easy. They they didn't do, they didn't work hard for that. They didn't do this. And and, you know, what's the point of that? It just all it does is, you know, just toxic to yourself and toxic to the person you're talking to and and that sort of thing. So so that's been a, a real hard challenge of mine. But, you know, that stems from my competitive nature and my, you know, wanting to to do well and make things right. And so when I see other people, you know, just walk out there aimlessly and, you know, crush some big deal i'm like that's not fair you know i mean i've been working my whole life and they just go out there and just bam it happens overnight but that's life and and you know that doesn't matter the other thing you see that i've figured out is you know people are 
just because they have a rosy life on Instagram or whatever doesn't mean that they're really that happy of a person. Mm, and this. so, and so having the money, you know, I, I really want my own plane one day and, you know, but really I wanted, you know, it started out just wanting like my own car or whatever. And just it, every time you get to that next thing, it's like, oh, now I need a plane. And once, once you get a plane, then it's like, that guy's got a bigger plane. I need a bigger plane. You know, mine doesn't go across the ocean. It only, it's only, a, you know, United States plane. And so, but the, but when you really get down and start knowing these people, you know, which I, which I have some close friends, that have a lot of money. And when you get to know them better, you realize that, that, you know, their shit stinks just as bad as yours does. And they have just as many problems, sometimes a lot more problems than you do. So money doesn't, it doesn't really, it's not going to make you happier. Um, I love it, that. It, it does afford, I mean, it, it allows you to do things that will make you happy if you allow it to, but it can also make you miserable and ruin you if you focus too much on doing that. So Ryan's my favorite example because he's so great at it. He's he's content with where he is. He's content with what he has all the time. And he's not, you know, he doesn't need to go prove anything. He doesn't need to go buy a bigger ranch or do whatever. He's happy with exactly what he's got and living his life. And and so I've always admired that, you know, for him. And I've always, I've told him that many times, you know, that I just admire that he can do that. You know, my personality is one that's just always looking for, you know, if I've got a ranch, I want a bigger ranch. And if I got a bigger ranch, I want two ranches. I mean, it's just always looking for something more to, and, and what you're doing, I think, is just trying to fill a void, obviously, of something that's not right with yourself. So you're trying to fill that void by by going out and doing that. And, you know, I have I, I kind of have always had a little chip on my shoulder. I went to public schools, went to Texas Tech. I didn't do the, you know, the, the fancy route, didn't graduate from Harvard and do all that stuff. So I've always kind of had a little chip on my shoulder that I need to prove to people that that I can, you know, succeed and do it. And, you know, that's not really that necessary. I mean— you know, I should be, I should prove by now that I can do it and I know I can. So it's another one of those things that's really hard when people tell you that though, because when you're competitive in nature and you're always trying to outdo yourself or outdo the past, I just mm-hmm. think it's, it's in your DNA. And I've talked about this on previous episodes and Nick touched on the same thing. He's always like, I don't compete with other people, which I thought was really interesting with that as much success, he's like, I just try to compete with myself and I'm always trying to outdo myself and outdo myself and outdo myself. But he kind of said the same thing mm-hmm. as you of like, it's not always the healthiest thing because you're going to get to that place. And then you're like, what's more, what's more. And I find myself even doing that with the podcast. Like I get to the downloads that I want. I'm like, okay, more, more, more. Like mm-hmm. you always have this more mindset. And I don't know if it's something that it will ever change. I think it's just something that's no, in our I think person. It's, in your, it's your DNA. It, it's, your, it's your competitive nature. And I think it's, it's a great thing to have if you can moderate it then it's really special. But you let it get out of control, then you spend your whole life doing that. And I mean, what you go to somebody's funeral and they're, they just died and they've got a billion dollars. I mean, if you, if you stop to think about it, we're all going to die one day. And if you if your whole life is spent trying to make more money and do this and do that, I mean, what, what's the, really the point in the end? I mean, I mean, dying with a bunch of money is really worthless. I mean, so I, I've always dreamed that I could, you know, enjoy my life and die, you know, with, I, I use my runway analogy, but, you know, I don't want to overshoot the runway and have a ton of money when I die, and I don't want to undershoot it and be broke and, you know, that kind of thing. I just want to somehow hit it and taxi right to the right to the terminal and get out and be done. So, I don't I don't know. It's never going to work like that. I'm going to end up with way more than I need. Um, but, and I'm, I'm big at giving back. I think that's been, uh, for me, a big deal. We, uh, I think the first, when we had our landscape business, we took uh, all the, girls from and guys from St. Michael's and we went and fed the Austin Street Austin Street shelter um, kids down there so our homeless people so we 
put together $500 um, from our mowing money and we went and bought all the food and then all the kids went down there and fed them. So that that's giving back has always been a big deal to me. That's something my parents instilled in me from a young age and something that's always, you know, been important to me is giving back. I think it's, I think it's really important to share what you have if you have it and, and help other people out that need help. So. Kind of gives you more purpose, not kind of, I think it gives it a does sense. Give you more purpose. Yeah. It gives you a sense of, I've always thought about that. Like once you get to a certain level, how can you give back to those people around you? I know for me, that's what it stemmed from. It's like, I want to have money to have security, but mm-hmm. I also want to be in a place where I can pay for a friend's food or if someone comes to me and they need money, like I'm at that place where I can give to other people and I can create a community around me where I can support them or whatever it is. That's always kind of been my why of like, why I keep dry, like why I keep going, why I keep yeah. building, why I keep doing all of the things. So it's good. Well, to, it makes you feel good. I mean, yeah. It makes you feel good to do that. So talking I about guess happiness, yeah. last year um, I decided starting January one, I'd give a hundred dollars to somebody every week. So <clears throat> that was the, you know, waiter, the waitress, the door person, the, you know, whoever it was that, yeah. I, that I ran, you know, came in contact with. And, and so I, I kept a list of all of them and it was really, a, you know, it was really a fun deal and I got the kids involved in it and it was just fun to, to, you know, there was a guy sweeping the parking lot at a Whataburger, you know, and, and we gave him a hundred dollars said, thanks for cleaning this trash up. We really appreciate you keeping this look, looking good. And, you know, I got served dinner you know, on a holiday or whatever and gave him a hundred dollars. Thanks for working, you know, Thanksgiving and being here to help service, you know? So it just, it was a kind of a fun way to, it kind of kept for me every week I was looking for somebody. It made me start looking for the good in people and looking for somebody that was, you know, deserving of, of that, that little gesture, you know, and, and doing it. So, and then John, my mentor, he, he caught on to it and he loved it. So he started doing it. You know, he started giving out a hundred dollars every week to somebody, you know, the Uber driver I gave, probably two, three Uber drivers, you know, hundred dollars, the ones I really liked that were fun to talk to. I'd get out and hand it to them. And, and I, I gave it to several people that, you know, were like, no, I can't take it. And try to give it back. And I was just, now you're going to take it and walked off. And, um, so I think, I think it's important. It helps keep you focused. And, and yeah, I mean, if you're going to go work real hard, you, may, you might as well enjoy the money. I mean, what's the point of stacking it all up just to go to the grave with it. So, so now I like to spend it on traveling and, and, you know, charity stuff giving away and things like that yeah i and it's so you hear all the time about these people who have built these empires and done all of this Mm -hmm. stuff and they always say the most rewarding part is really giving back and it's just it's like music to your ears when you hear this type of stuff because i think we put people like you on a pedestal when you actually sit them down and you're sitting across them and you're asking them questions they're just normal people like Mm -hmm. everyone else out there. And I think it's intimidating. And there's a lot of people who will be like, you just go up to everyone and introduce yourself. I'm like, yeah, because there's so many people that are willing to meet with you that you never, if you just ask like people like you, that you can just tell that you want to help other people. You're open. You love the idea of mentorship. Like you want to help and give back and give advice when you've had that much success. Why would, you know what I mean? I think it's. Well, that's part of the reward of it all. Is, yeah. Is being able to give back and being able to see other people benefit from your knowledge. And, you know, John's doing it to me and I'm doing it to these, these young brokers that are in their early twenties, you know, I'm teaching them stuff, you know, how to do deals. And they call me and ask me questions all the time. They call me and you know, this, this guy didn't want to pay this commission. What do I do? And, you know, and I'm, I'm like, well, if it's me, this is what I would do. And so I think that it just, it helps you it's kind of the reward for me at least for building all this up and the hard work and the putting my colon and, and you know, the other issues I've had is, is to be able to, to give the money back, give my time back. Um, 
John and I are going in February uh, to Texas Tech to speak to the real estate students out there. So, we're, you know, we're going to buy them dinner and do a kind of a fireside chat where I inter- interview John and we talk about all the real estate deals we've done and stuff like that. So that that's what's fun is being able to go out and share what you've learned and done and, you know, with other people and not just, you know, head down, making money all the time, which is, you know, fun for me also. But it's it's fun <laughs> to be able to come up every once in a while and do something like that. Yeah. Give back to those around you. Yeah. You said this a little bit ago, which is something that I written next to a Bible verse. I have everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. Through your time in life and building four businesses, having success, having two kids, going through a marriage, for people out there listening, optimism, passion, and positivity are the three words that describe their podcast or describe this podcast. I think you encompass all of those. Being optimistic, I think, on mm-hmm. life is something that's really, really challenging. And I think having a positive mindset and thinking that there's good things to come is where a lot of the population misses. I think we have this negative mindset or this isn't going to happen to me or this isn't fair or this isn't this. I think that quote right there of everything happens for a reason counteracts all of that. People out there listening, what pieces of advice would you give them? Tangible things of staying positive and staying optimistic no matter what is going on in your life, whether it's health issues like you've gone through, a marriage or a relationship falling apart, a business falling apart. I don't care what it is, life, business yeah i mean you have to if you don't stay optimistic and don't stay positive and don't believe that everything's going to work out then things are not going to work out and it's it's kind of like you know what i said earlier about associating with people that are better than you and and i think the same thing is true if you just you've got to be able to know that it's all going to work out and i'm telling you right here there's i cannot think of one example in my life one bad thing that's happened that there wasn't a positive that came out of it and I think you can you can ask so many people, you know, you remember when you got fired from that job and you were crying for three weeks and where are you now? And, you know, or you didn't get into that school, but you got into this school. What happened? Well, you met these, this, your wife or your husband. Or, you know, there's always, always something good that comes out of everything bad. And I think that if you can, if you can learn to stay focused on that, then life is a whole lot easier. It's a whole lot better. But if you get in the, into the negative ends of it and all that, it just, it, you can get drugged down real quick, you know, with, with that sort of thing. So. I, th- I think it's important. I think you, you know, it, it really does. It always works out. There's, you know, and we're, we're so, f- everybody listening to this podcast is so fortunate to be where we are. I mean, we're in the, the top, 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 top piece of, of this stuff. And we should all be so happy to be where we are. I mean, the, there's so many people in this world that have nothing that are starving to death, being persecuted, getting killed. You know, there's just, I mean, we're, we're so lucky to be where we are, you know, to be in the United States, we're even luckier to be in Dallas, Texas, where it seems like the sun shines all the time and the economy's great. Nothing ever seems to really go too wrong here. But, but uh, I think we're we're in a great spot. And and once you realize that, you get to kind of put it in perspective. It it really helps to know that you know that's where we are. I love that you're. You should be a motivational speaker. No, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> you, it's all such. I think when it's not in our lives or you're in those down points or wherever you are in your life, when you're someone out there listening, this is your reminder to just keep going and to mm-hmm. just keep thinking positive and to keep moving. And it's always like one of the questions like, Aaron, you're so bubbly. You're so happy. All this stuff. How do you do it? 
I just feel like it's a choice. Like I feel like I mm-hmm. wake up every single morning and I choose to live my life this way. I choose to get up at 5 a.m. to go to a yoga class so I'm happier. I choose all of these things. Does that mean that I wasn't crying five days ago? No. Does yeah. that mean that I didn't have a terrible day at work? I just really truly feel like it's a choice and you're someone that's sitting across from me that it's it encompassing all of that and success comes on the other side of that. Success, success comes yeah, on the other side of sure. hard work and consistency and just keep going. Yeah, I mean, my favorite quote is, you know, buddy of mine's dad just always told me, he said, just keep your head down and keep swinging. And, you know, it's true. Just keep your head down and keep swinging and you'll get there eventually. I mean, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll get to where it is you want to be. But, but yeah, if you wake up every morning and, you know, have bad thoughts and start the day out wrong and, you know, eat bad and then it just kind of snowballs. So, and I've noticed in my life when I'm, even recently after that big race, I kind of fell off and quit working out. You know, you kind of, I train so hard and then you accomplish this goal. And so then you're, you're kind of, I don't know, there's a hangover period of that where you're just like, Oh, I don't, I don't want to get back on a bike. I don't want to do anything. So then you start, you quit working out. That leads to, you know, staying up a little bit later. That leads to more alcohol. That leads to eating bad. For me, it leads to more Dr. Pepper, my, one of my hangups, which I'm, I'm off of for now, but you know, <laughs> but you just, everything starts to get spiral out of control and just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And then, when I was training for that race, it was going to bed early, less alcohol, happier all the time, healthier, you know, working out. And so, you know, that wasn't sustainable. The pace I was working out and the amount I was training, the way I was eating and, and the no alcohol consumption. But then this over here is not sustainable. So you got to try to figure that middle ground, which is, you know, I'm going to work out five days a week. But, you know, every Saturday I'm going to go eat a big cheeseburger if I want. And, you know, I'm not going to make, I'm not going to force myself to do everything perfectly right because that gets exhausting after a while. And then you then you fail at, at that because you're trying too much. So the balance is really, for me, has been the hardest thing in life is trying to keep that balance between, you know, the falling off the wagon and being on the wagon. You know, it's just trying to, trying to figure out how to, how to get on there and stay on it, you know, and not, not get off in the ditch too bad. So, you know, I think everybody's different. Some people can focus and stay in the middle and, you know, but some of those people never have the highs and lows that, that I've had that I think are, have shaped me and made me who I am is having those, those big accomplishments and having those big, um, you know, crashes in my life have been really important to me, you know, to kind of focus and keep me where I am. So. Teaches you, I always say it's the lowest points in the, or the lowest points in my life have always catapulted me to where I really needed to go. And if I hadn't hit that point, I would have never been where I am now. And if it wasn't for those highs, or if it wasn't for the lows, I don't think I would have appreciated the highs. I think it's easy to get to this place and have all of this success. And, you know, for example, with me at work, it's like I'm way above plan. And I feel like even though that's where I am, it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean that you're so much happier. I mean, I, it puts things into perspective, but I do feel like having those low points and those times where you're like, what is happening in my life? Why is this happening? It makes you appreciate those high points so much more. And it really changes the direction of your life at 100%. times. 100%. Couldn't agree more with you. I mean, it really does. That that is so accurate, so well said. I mean, it, it really does make it make it so much better when you can enjoy that. You, you enjoy it more when you know where what what it could be like, and and so I think that's a great great well said. We're all on a journey. We, we are. Yeah, it's a. I mean, it's an ever evolving journey too. It's changing all the time. I think you know, and that's if you can learn to roll with the punches better, then you'll be better off for it. And and you know, I think in my since my midlife awakening, I've I've learned to just let things go and try to you know not control stuff. Not I'm not gonna can't control everything. I can't you know 
control all the stuff. But if you just do, you know, if you're a good person and you act kindly to other people and do the right thing, then it's all going to work out in the end. Wherever that means you're going to be, you'll be there. We're, we're in a world where you don't want anybody to know your, you know, where your warts are. And, and I, I think, I mean, that's who I am and I've made mistakes and I'll tell you the mistakes I've made and, and uh, you know, I'm not proud of them. And, you know, I wish I wasn't, you know, as jealous of other people and what they have. I wish I was healthier. You know, I mean, there's all these things that you wish you do. And, and so I think that, that that is who you are. And, you know, I mean, sometimes I want to just put on Instagram a picture of something bad that's happened to me, you know, but um, probably would make people mad. I don't know. But but um, there I am caring about other people's feelings so much that I don't want to post on Instagram a bad thing. So it's it's a yeah. but I think that, you know, we all post the best stuff and we all want everybody to see the best best of us. And, and I mean, there's a lot of bad of, of me and, and there's been a lot of bad times and I've haven't handled relationships correctly. I haven't handled people correctly. I've been selfish. I've been, you know, I've been a piece of shit to people. And, and those are all things I'm not proud of, but at the same time, that's all helped shape me to where I am. And it's helped, it's helping get me to a place where hopefully I'll be, you know, better for people long-term. And, and that's the goal, I guess. The goal is to be, for me is to be happy and healthy and, and, uh, and just, you know, be kind to people and better people's lives and, and better everything I touch. I mean, every building I buy, we, I fix them up. I make them better than, better than when I bought them. You know, I'm not one of those guys that sits around with junky buildings and just keeps them all junky looking. I mean, I fix them all up. I clean them up. I make my landscape company better. The farm, every time I go out there, I make a list of stuff for the guys to do. They hate me, but I come out there and I'm like, mow that, do that, clean that, you know, grade that road out there. You know, I want everything looking perfect. So, you know, we have some crooked rows out there that, that were put in before we knew exactly how the property laid. We went off one row, it's a long story, but so from the Google map photo, there's crooked tree rows and it drives me crazy. So we've been tearing them all up and straightening them. And everybody's just like, oh my God. My, my people are like, what, are you kidding me? There's, you're going to straighten these? I'm like, Don't yes. work for Philip. I'm like, yes, I'm going to straighten <laughs> these rows because I want it all to look good. And I think that, that you know, the, the, all, all the employees at the farm, they all wear uniforms and nobody goes to the farm. It's not, a, it's not open to the public. We just ship out of there. We do have some, you know, clients that'll come out there landscapers and stuff but but to me it's if your employees look good when they get up in the morning if they're all uniformed and they all have matching stuff and all our equipment looks good and everything's mowed and all the trash is picked up then your plants are going to look better that you sell and the same thing with with my landscape yard over here i have a full-time yard guy that does nothing but sweep dirt pick up trash keep everything straight and organized keep all the plants in rows and but that translates we're trying to do the most precise expensive best landscapes out there and so if, if my trucks look the best, my employees look the best, our yard looks the best, then the customer's yards are going to be that way. And I see the guys that, that have nasty yards and their you know, trucks are all beat up and the, their work product is not as good as what my work product is. So, so I, think it's, I think it's something that you have to, to you know, look the part. And if you do that, you'll have a better product in the end. We've talked about a lot. We've talked about life. We've talked about business. We've talked about growing a business and everything in between. If there's pieces of advice for people out there, I'm going to be specific with you because I think you can handle it. I want to give one specific advice for people who are out there wanting to start their own business, entrepreneurial, tangible business advice, and then something per more personal advice that for people out there listening, whether they're resonating with the entrepreneurial side or whether they're just listening to you because you're very inspir inspirational, what advice will you give them, whether they're in their 20s, their 30s, or their 40s? So uh, I, I guess the first piece would be just to find what you're passionate about. Yeah. 
and do it. And so I, I'm not passionate about landscaping, but I am passionate about running businesses and making money. So that's why I was successful at the landscape path is because I was successful at that. So the, the real estate for me is kind of brings it all together because I am passionate about real estate and passionate about the business end of it, making money. So, so I think if you focus on something you're really passionate at, you'll do well at it when it comes to the business, you know, starting a business. So that would be my entrepreneurial side. And then the life one, um, more personal. So life advice would be, you know, I've kind of already touched on it all, but yeah, it, yeah. It, it would be to, to take care of yourself, stay healthy and, you know, your happiness and health is going to be what sustains you and carries you long-term. So that would be my advice is to stay healthy and happy. Yeah. I, I like the passionate part too. And I think we could, we'll have you back on for another episode. I think we could take that a step further because I think there's a lot of people out there who have a passion, but they don't know how to make money off of it. Mm -hmm. And so I think there is a misconception out there of people find like, oh, I'm super passionate about snowboarding or this, but mm -hmm. it's like, you need to find something that you're passionate about and there's an opportunity for financial gain from that. Yeah. So well. my, my biggest passion since I was a kid has always been to be a cowboy. All I wanted to do is in, in college, I roped cattle and worked at the sale barn, rode horses. And that's all I've ever wanted to do is own a big ranch and do that. But that's not, to your point, there, there's really no way, I wouldn't say there's no way, but I mean, ranching is not a business to make money. Yeah. You've heard Ryan talk about it. I mean, it's a running some cattle isn't really there. So you can't always, your passion can't always be what drives you to make money. I mean, there are, there are some rare exceptions of people that are, that, you know, want to be a cowboy and somehow they make a huge living at it. But, you know, that's, that's going to be like the, being the Michael Jordan of the world. That's not really going to work for most people. So, so I think that there, you have to, to have, you have to be passionate what you want to do, but, but you're not always, it's not always going to be your first choice of something to, that's going to get you there. You know, yeah. it's going to make it to where you make a bunch of money doing it. Um, so I like that. And then the last and final question that I ask everyone is what are you grateful for? Oh gosh. I mean, right now I'm just super grateful for my health and, and where I am today and, and my success and happiness is really, I mean, that's my, but my health is really what I'm most happy about because I was at a place where it was taken away from me and, and I know what that's like. And so I'm super happy to be healthy and, and, be at this place right now where I am, you know, in life in, in this journey is, is being healthy. That's really my number one thing because it's, that's the thing I've had the opposite of the most. I've, you know, I haven't had a bunch of business failures that have caused me any problems. Um, so all that kind of stuff has gone good. So, but I have failed really miserably in the, in the health situation and relationships. And so I think the, the health right now is probably the, the thing that, you know, I'm the happiest to have. I love so. that. I think it's, when you have something taken away from you, it again, it puts it into a perspective of... We, it for sure does. We, we take it into... And I know that's what I said last week. My mom actually had a surgery that she was like unable to walk for the last four years. So that was something that I've just been very grateful for is a successful, a successful surgery and mm -hmm. a doctor that would listen to her. Mm -hmm. And she's walked for the first time in four years wow. so you know that's definitely something i'm thankful for and I, oh as always this podcast so thank you so much for being yeah, on for you are me. such a good guest well, thank you. you will we'll have you back on for a part All two right. and go a little bit deeper so thank you everyone for tuning in and we'll talk to you next week thank you thank you thank you